If you have your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 39. We are in this series of messages that we've been calling Perseverance uh, as we look at the life of Joseph. And let me begin today by asking you this question. Have you ever felt trapped in life? Has there ever been a point in your life where you just felt like you were trapped? Uh, We have a a three-bedroom, two-bath house, and it was the perfect size whenever we moved in. Whenever we moved in, we were a family of four, and so uh, Stacy and I have our own bedroom, which I recommend if you're married. That's a good plan. And then both of our daughters, Karis, who's now six, and McKenna, who's four, they had their own bedrooms as well. Well, uh, lo and behold, God blesses us with Bennett. And so we had to make things work in the house, and so we, we moved the girls into their room together, and they got bunk beds, and don't get me wrong, they're best buddies, they love each other, and I mean, they enjoy each other a lot, but we've noticed over the summer that they've been spending a lot of time with each other, and they're starting to get a little annoyed with each other sometimes, you know, feeling a little trapped, and so uh, the six-year-old Karis, the way she's been dealing with it is she'll just periodically disappear into her closet and she'll play in the closet for like an hour or two. We're like, has anybody seen Karis? No, I hadn't seen her. Oh, she's in the closet playing. But McKenna, McKenna's a sweetheart, a very, very sweet child. She has what we might call a little bit of zest to life. And, you know, all of life is a party, and you're invited to join her in her party. And so she comes up to my wife, and she's like, why didn't we build a bigger house or buy a bigger house? Stays so like, well, this is the one we could afford. Oh, we need a bigger house. Why is that? Because I need my own room. Well, you're not getting your own room. Well, Daddy and I are going to go build me a room. I mean, she, she was determined that she wasn't going to be trapped. Where is it in your life that you feel trapped? I mean, I can relate to McKenna because living with all those little people in my house, sometimes I feel a little trapped and want my own room. But where is it in your life that you feel trapped? Maybe you feel trapped at work. You have a bad work environment, and every time you go to work, you have this sense of dread because you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know what your supervisor's going to do, and you just feel trapped in your job. Maybe you feel trapped in your body. Your body's aging. Maybe you're sick. Uh, In your mind, you're still 18, but in your body, you you know, you're 40. I I can relate to that. In my mind, I'm still 18 and can run a sub-five-minute mile like I could back in high school, and then there's the reality of today. You know, I'm lucky to break 10 minutes, if I'm, and then I'm exhausted at that point. Maybe uh, you feel like you're trapped in a waiting game, uh, waiting for children. You've been, you've been praying for that, and it uh, hadn't happened yet, and so you just feel kind of trapped in that game. Maybe you're waiting for retirement, uh, waiting to graduate school. Uh, perhaps you're just waiting for football season to get here, and, and you're trapped in a soccer world when you're a football fan, and you just feel like, Lord, please, may it turn to fall. Uh, uh, maybe you're trapped in a difficult stage of life. It seems like the kids are never going to sleep through the night. Maybe you're trapped in this feeling where you have these young adults, and you're trying to help them go off out of the nest, and, and it just feels like they're struggling to, to get on their own feet, and so you just feel trapped, or maybe you're trapped in a rocky period in your marriage, and you're, you're fighting through it with your spouse, but it just seems like it's an ongoing struggle. How does it make you feel when you feel trapped? How do you feel in those circumstances? Without this devolving into a therapy session, 
Let's just talk to the person sitting around us and in one or two words, talk about how it makes you feel whenever you feel trapped in life. Ready? Go. Go ahead. It's all right. You can talk in church. Everybody at once. Okay, hopefully that wasn't too painful. What were some of the what were some of the words that you used? Go ahead and shout them out to me. Anxious. Anxious. Frustrated. No control. Helpless. A couple more. What was that? Sad, okay. Afraid. Hopeless, sad, afraid, no control. Helpless. Can you imagine how Joseph must have felt? Betrayed by his own family. Sold into slavery. Taken to a foreign land. Made to work as a slave in Potiphar's house. Accused of rape. Thrown into prison. How this man had to feel. How trapped he had to feel. We pick up the story in verse 19 of Genesis 39. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, These are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Now remember, Joseph worked for this powerful man named Potiphar. And Potiphar was the captain of the king's guard. As captain of the guard, he would be over the king's prison. Potiphar's wife was an evil woman, and she uh, attempted to seduce Joseph. And then whenever he would not comply, she made up lies about him. She accused him of rape, and her husband naturally, at least initially, was furious. And so he had Joseph thrown into prison. Now remember, uh, Potiphar was the warden. He was the captain of the guard. And he has Joseph thrown into the king's prison. And so it's never a good thing whenever you are thrown into prison and the warden of the prison is absolutely furious with you. Circumstances were not good for Joseph. But then in verse, but then as we continue in verse 21 of Genesis 39, the Bible says, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. And he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And the warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. And the warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the Lord made everything he did successful. Now I want you to notice several things right here in the passage that pop out to me. Number one, the Bible says God was with Joseph. Where was God with Joseph? In prison. Kind of an interesting thought pattern here. Joseph, you just got thrown into prison, a, a literally a round house, a house where there is no end. You, you just got thrown into prison, Joseph, and the Bible says very specifically, but God was with him there. Then, notice the Bible says God extended kindness to Joseph. Where was God extending kindness to Joseph? Where? In prison. Then the Bible says God granted him favor. 
Now, sometimes within the Christian community, we'll use this word, the favor of God, and we'll say we're praying for God's favor to be upon you, or God granted me favor in this. Rarely do we think of God's favor as something that is extended to us in prison. We normally think of it as a financial blessing, a promotion, something that was, that was really, that we anticipated, wanted in life. But here, God's favor is extended to Joseph in prison. Then God gives Joseph a ministry in prison. Then the Bible says that God made him successful. Where is Joseph successful? He's successful in prison. Now, I'm beginning to think that God may use a different standard of success than most of us do. God may measure his favor and his goodness and his success a little bit differently than a lot of us do. Now, we're not sure if this warden in the prison was Potiphar or another man. It kind of uh, parallels to Potiphar, and so I kind of think that maybe Potiphar was initially furious with Joseph, but then began to see his character because the circumstances in the prison are very similar to the circumstances in Potiphar's house. That his integrity was seen, that God's hand upon him was seen, and eventually he's put into a position of responsibility. When you feel trapped, when you feel trapped in life, don't let your circumstances define your God. Hey, Joseph, what kind of God do you serve? Since we've been reading your story, you've been betrayed, you've been thrown into slavery, you've been thrown into the pit, thrown into jail, accused of rape. What kind of God do you serve? Judging by your circumstances, your God is mad at you. Or if he's not mad at you, he's just mean. Or perhaps he's not mad or mean, maybe he's just incompetent, he can't help you. Or maybe he's just apathetic, he he doesn't care. How could an all-good, all-powerful, loving God let his child go through these type of circumstances? Let's talk for a few moments about the problem of evil. The problem of evil is that very question. It's how can an all-good, loving, powerful God let his children go through uh, difficult circumstances? And if you talk to people, you'll find that this question is thrown up at Christians frequently. And so we need to be able to dialogue with this question. You need to have some answers to that question. Well, let's begin by realizing that the world that we live in is broken. When God created the world, He created it with a shalom. He created it with a balance. There was a beauty. There was a goodness to it. And then sin entered the world. And the Bible describes the creation in the world that we live in as fractured. It it is broken. It, It is not fair. It is not right. There is death and disease and there is betrayal and there is evil and there is sin. And and there is a lot of things in this world that, that are wrong. And the extent of that is universal. The scriptures say for all sin, that all fall short of the glory of God. We live in a sin-saturated, sin-stained world, and it's not just 
external that other people are evil and I am good and I do everything right and other people do things which are wrong, but the Scriptures teach that, no, you and me, everybody in the room, we all do things that are wrong, that evil is not just an external reality, but that sin actually is in our hearts. And so we are in need of a redemption that starts not by simply behavior modification and changing things on the exterior, but we're in need of a transformation that starts within the soul and then moves out. So what has God done about evil? Well, God so loved the world that he sent his son. Sending his son is an answer to the evil of the world around us. His son lives the life that we cannot live. His son dies on the cross, absorbing the wrath of the Father. His son dies as an atonement for our sin. His son overcomes death so that all who believe in him, the scriptures teach, do not perish but have everlasting life in him. Whenever we believe in him, our, our sins are washed as white as snow. The corruption that within is within our hearts is purified. We are declared righteous by our God because of our belief in Christ. So God's beginning point in answering the problem of evil is to send his son so that he might transform our hearts. Not only has God done something about evil in the past, sending his son, he continues to do something about evil as he transforms us and grows us and matures us so that we might reflect his image more clearly uh, to the world around us as we really begin to yield our lives to God's spirit and let him reign within us. We become salt and light, and we become difference makers in our community for those things which are righteous. God has done something about evil, is doing something about evil, and he will do something about evil. Now, I don't have a set of charts to put up on the stage to tell you exactly how the end of the world is going to take place, and this guy will be this guy and this. I don't have all that, but I do know this, that the Bible clearly teaches that one day Christ will come back, that there will be a consummation of the world. There will be that apocalyptic moment that God will make all things new. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth and that God will eradicate evil within this world. Right now we have a window where we are called to believe in Christ, but one day there will be the judgment day where Christ and God will make all things new and the shalom of creation, the harmony, the peace, the goodness of God's created order will be restored. God has, is, and will do something about evil. When I'm going through a difficult time, I have to trust that the nature of God is greater than the nature of things. Circumstances will lie to you. Circumstances will deceive you. Sometimes circumstances tell you that things are a lot better than they really are. This past Monday, everything in my life was peaceful. I mean, life was good. I've got my family, I've got a wonderful church. Life is good. And then I'm, I'm sitting back over here in Paul Packabush's office and <laughs> hear this lightning bolt. We're running out the door, making sure that uh, everything's okay as far as we can see it. We get back around to the front of the church building. I see Cindy Langford. She's white as a sheet. She's like, uh, lightning just hit the building, and I called 911. I go, okay. 
Firefighters come and they check out the building. As I said earlier, we're very thankful that the, the damage appears to have been minimal. But the firefighter took us up to the attic and he was like, okay, this is where it hit right here. And you can see the radiant barriers kind of hanging down. And, and you could tell that something had happened there. And so I began processing this. And, and here's how it, it came together for me. My family had just walked into the lobby of the church, was standing there talking to Cindy. All my kids, my wife, Cindy sitting there talking out there. The lightning bolt hit on the second floor pretty well right above where they were standing. The circumstances told me that everything was good, everything was peaceful, but the reality is there was one flash that could have wiped out my entire family. Life can change quickly, dramatically. And if you simply just let your circumstances be your guide, then circumstances can often lie to you. Sometimes circumstances also tell you that things are a lot worse than they really are. Have you ever had a must-be-nice party? Just start looking around, must-be-nice. Might be nice to be as good-looking as that guy. I get that a lot, but... uh, Kidding, kidding. Um, must be nice to have their family. Must be nice to have their house. Hmm, must be nice. Look at that. They get to go to Waterburger. Must be nice. And you start just, everything I have is junk. But then really, if you take inventory of your life, you're unbelievably blessed. I mean, you have so much more than most of the world ever dreamed of. I mean, you're just unbelievably blessed, yet if you just simply look at your circumstances, sometimes, uh, you know, you start throwing a pity party. Circumstances don't define your God. God defines you in your circumstances. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I love that part because it ends with, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, because people are always coming to me saying, Lash, I, I want to know the will of God for my life. I, I'm looking for this kind of death star thing to come over me and this light to shine down and say, Luke, this is my will for you. What is God's will for my life? Well, the Bible says this is God's will for you, that you will find your joy in His goodness and His grace, that we will turn to Him in prayer, that we will find strength and wisdom and guidance as we turn to Him in prayer, and that we will have an attitude of gratitude regardless of the circumstances. Joseph could not change his circumstances, but he could trust his God in the circumstances. And God blessed him. God blessed him with favor. He blessed him with the kindness of strangers, opportunities to serve, and he blessed him with great success. When you feel trapped, remember this, God is at work. Sometimes God's at work in ways that you could never imagine. Go over to chapter 40, verse 1. The Bible says, After this, the Egyptian king's cupbearer and the baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. It's not a good thing. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Who was the captain of the guard? Potiphar, in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard assigned Joseph to them and became their personal attendant, and they were in custody 
for some time. Joseph was slaving away. He was simply trying to make the best of things in prison. And unbeknownst to him, God was at work. God was at work in all places as the White House of Egypt, the Pharaoh's palace. God was working. A few years ago, we were doing mission work in Port Arthur, Texas. It was an incredible three, four-year run where we'd go down to this impoverished neighborhood, Carver Terrace. We would do a VBS for the kids. We got to know the community, and it started out very hostile. They were like, go home. You're not wanted here. But over time, we saw God do an incredible transformation, and it got to the point where we would drive up. The kids would come running out. The parents would come out welcoming us, and it, it was just one of those moments where the Holy Spirit was thick uh, on the ministry of the church. Well, about three years into that mission ministry, we're praying, okay, God, we come down here once, twice a year. Would you call somebody out to do ongoing ministry here in this community so that somebody could be with them every week? We finish things up. We've loaded up the trailer. We're heading out of Carver Terrace. This truck pulls in. This guy gets out of the truck. We're like, "Uh uh-oh, what's about to happen? This man named Vincent starts to talk to us. We begin to realize that as Vincent talks that he grew up in the neighborhood. This was his home ground. He tells us, hey, God's been stirring my heart to do something in this community. I want to have an ongoing ministry here in this neighborhood. We're like, okay. Maybe God's, God's at work here. Fast forward the clock. The next summer, we're baptizing kids. We buy this swimming pool, and, and we're baptizing kids out there in the park, and, and some of their parents are getting baptized, and guess who's baptizing them? Pastor Vincent. We're able to kind of move on to the next call that God had given us in our mission work, and, and he's able to continue the work going on there uh, in Port Arthur, Texas. God is at work around us, but sometimes we don't see it. We don't realize it. God had already revealed to Joseph his destination point. Joseph had had a dream, and God had showed him, you're going to be a great leader. You're going to be the patriarch of your family. This is my destination point for you. And when God decides something, it's going to happen. But Joseph's journey from dreamer to leader, it had taken a few unexpected turns. But note this, God was still at work. In a couple weeks here, we're we're going to look at the story of how God worked there in the Pharaoh's mansion to, to bring about his will in Joseph's life. When you feel trapped, you just keep doing what you know to be right in the eyes of God. It's a mantra that I've had in my life for for sometimes, particularly whenever there's those moments where I just don't understand what's happening. Just do what's right in the eyes of God and everything will be okay. You say, but Lash, what if they kill me? Heaven's a pretty good place, okay? You just do what's right in the eyes of God and it'll be okay. Joseph wasn't famous. He, he wasn't on the cover of Egyptian News and World Report. You know what his claim to fame was at this point in his life? He was really good at being in jail. But he was faithful. And as he went to work day after day, as he did what he was supposed to be doing, God was watching and God was working. In fact, 
because of his faithfulness and because of God's work, today we are watching what he did. We're reading his account. As I've been going through these sermons and and these weeks, uh, the life of Joseph has spoken to me, and I hope it's spoken to you, because God rewarded his faithfulness. God was at work in ways that Joseph never could have imagined. There's no way that Joseph could be there in the prison thinking, you know what, in 2014, America, you know, right off the end of the earth, uh, God's going to be using my story to inspire other believers. But that's exactly what happened. Some of you feel trapped today. Some of you feel anxious, overwhelmed, sad, depressed. Perhaps you're waiting on God, wondering what God is doing. Remember, God is rarely early, but He's never late. Sometimes I wish He'd show up a little earlier, but He's rarely early. But he's never late. You just keep on doing what you know is right in the eyes of God. You keep being salt. You keep being light. You keep being that godly spouse. You keep being that godly father. You keep being that godly mother. You keep being that teacher that's trying to make a difference. You keep being that individual that's trying to really impact your community. You just keep doing what you know is right in the eyes of God. Realize that God is at work Get out of his way and let your life bring glory to him. I close with this verse from James chapter 1. Uh, it's a great passage of scripture that millions of Christians over a couple thousand years have found strength in, particularly whenever they feel a little bit trapped. The Bible says, Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials. It's like a tug of war statement. I'm supposed to consider it great joy, yet on the other side of the rope are are great trials. Well, how is it that I'm supposed to consider it great joy? The Bible says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Those moments when the circumstances of life cause you to lean into faith, where you have to persevere through struggle. Know this, that testing of your faith, it's producing endurance in your soul, and endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? We come to this time of commitment. The band's going to come and During this time, I'll be here at the front. If there's anything that I may pray with you about, come see me. If today needs to be your day of salvation, come see me. As the band leads, many of you will want to sing with them, and I encourage you, uh, sing from the depths of your soul. Sing the song of worship. It, it may be that while they sing, you feel led to pray, and during this time, You just want to kneel at your seat and pray, come to the front and pray. Maybe you're a thinker, a writer, and you like to journal your thoughts when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And during this time, you just need to get out some thoughts that God has impressed upon you. Feel free to sit and write and talk to God. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for being a part of this community of faith, this family. I thank you, Father, for the eight new believers. Thank you, Father, for 
how you're maturing us and growing us. I see new friendships forming. I see people growing in their faith. Sometimes I see us stumbling and struggling and trying to make wise decisions and we go through difficult moments together and sometimes life stings and we walk together. I thank you for the privilege of being a part of this church. And I also know that in this room today that there's some people that when I talk about being trapped, they feel it very strongly. In fact, uh, feelings swelled up within them as we, we discussed the subject today because the circumstances of life are very hard right now. And I, I pray that you might give us faith, that you might give us courage, that you will give us wisdom as we persevere through the challenges of life. Lord, help us to glance at our problems and gaze at you. Help us, Lord, to rejoice always, to consider it great joy, even in the midst of trial, because we know that you are at work. You're at work in us and through us. And I pray, Lord, that you might use our life to impact others, to draw others to you. Help us, Lord, to be mature and complete, not lacking in anything, because hand in hand with you, we walked through the valley, and you grew us in our circumstances. Help us, Lord, to trust in the nature of our God more than we trust in the nature of things, to find our strength and joy in you. It's in Jesus' name we worship. Amen.